I want to subtitle tonight Shelter from the Storm because I want to take you to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I want to take you to the last thing Jesus says. Truthfully, you should probably save it for the last lesson on the Sermon on the Mount. But I, as is my custom, wait each week to see what really jumps up in my spirit. And this is the one that kept coming back to. I kept rolling over again. And that, of course, is the, the famous statement of he who builds on the rock and he who builds on the sand. It's a story that it's, it's another one of those, which we do this a lot with some of the Jesus stories, is it doesn't get its own sermon very much, but it gets referenced a lot. And it usually gets referenced, um, maybe I'm tipping my hand a little bit here, but I'll go ahead and do it. It usually gets referenced out of context, almost always. The rock and sand story is used to describe sinners and saints. Saints built on the rock, sinners built on the sand. And I'll just go ahead and knock the props out from under that. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking to at all. Jesus isn't preaching to sinners at the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? He's talking to people who come to hear him speak. Now, let me rephrase that. Jesus is speaking to sinners on the Sermon on the Mount in that we are the audience at the Sermon on the Mount. And we are sinners in need of the Savior that is talking to us. But my point is Jesus is not being evangelistic at the Sermon on the Mount. He is being kingdom. He's giving the principles of the kingdom of God, what it looks like, what God responds like, how God is. So when you get these stories, you, are, you need to see it through that lens. Um, at the same time, there's just a few things I want to kind of release and get off my spirit and my mind as we, as we get rolling tonight. Um, there's a lot that goes on in the world and you are always pressed to weigh in on it. If you're heavily involved in social media, then you're pressed to weigh in on it digitally, or at least to watch other people weigh in on it digitally, whether it's politics or government or whatever. Um, there's a lot of pressure there to put your voice into the atmosphere kind of thing. Um, I've talked to you before about this, how I don't really think it's our call to have to have something to say. And I don't even really think we're well equipped to always have something to say. And I think that sometimes, and I really just felt the Spirit saying this to me for the last two days, sometimes silence is your best option when you see stuff going on in the world and everybody wants to weigh in with their two cents. Here's what I think about what happened. Here's what I think they ought to do. Sometimes you ought to just set this one out when something comes by you and just not respond. And not responding doesn't mean you don't care. It means you care enough to not respond foolishly. Um, we are, we're really bad about saying about situations, I don't understand, and then we insert what we don't understand, and then we keep talking. You know what I don't understand? I don't understand why. And then two more paragraphs of what we don't understand. And the real good tip is if you don't understand, then go to someone who might understand, say what you don't understand, and then stop talking. So that the one who might understand can help you understand. But most of us don't say, I don't understand so that we can understand. We say, I don't understand as if that's permission to then tell the whole world what we don't understand. Um, you know, it's like, like the book of Proverbs tells us that uh, a wise man holds his tongue, a, a fool opens his mouth, let everybody know that he's a fool. And so we do that a lot. And I think that 
To be a good communicator is not just the ability to put, to put sentences together and formulate paragraphs. To be a good communicator is to know when to stop communicating. It's to know when to stop talking and start listening. And if you aren't a good listener, the time will come when you will fail to be a good communicator. A lot of times what happens in ministry is people come out of the gate sort of gifted like a firework. And as the years go along, sometimes we lose the ability to be as good. <laughs> That's the, it's not the right word, but it's a word I'm going to use. We're not as good. And people will go, well, he's not as good because he's preaching the same old sermons. Or he's not as good because nothing's fresh anymore. I think we're not as good because somewhere along the way we stop listening to people. And we just start ministering to people. And if you're not getting feedback, then you're not ha- you don't have an input. You just have an, a, an outflow. And great communication is the ability to listen. So it's the ability to take the information that you hear be it in the world and social media and in the church, bring it into the ear, drop it into your spirit, let your spirit man go to work with it, wrestle with it, do something with it, maybe not even respond to it. You don't even have to have an immediate response to things in the spirit. God can speak to you and you don't have to immediately respond. You can just roll that thing over for a week or two or a month or a year. I'm bad about this. I'm preaching to me. I will hear something and then preach it like, the next time I'm preaching. And the Lord has really had to work with me over the years. I'm better at it than I used to be. At least now, sometimes I'll give myself like two weeks of thinking. You know, used to, I gave myself 20 minutes. I got it. Boom. Like I'm on the way to church, had an idea. Oh, I'm going to preach that. Um, barely had an opening text. <laughs> that was one I just made up so I could give this clever title. Um, so, you know, at least now I put a little space between it, but that's something I have to constantly work on is take it in, wrestle it over, process it. You don't have to immediately spew that thing out. You don't have to immediately give that out. And you certainly don't have to immediately give your opinion. Um, I think that we, we are so quick to do this because we live in a country that prides itself on the freedom of speech. I don't know that this is an American phenomenon, but I'm only an American, so I can't. I'm an American first in comparison to what else I might be in, a, in any other nationality or whatever. And so I, I can only speak through that lens, and that is that we, because we have free speech, I think we think that it's, we're free to speak. And where there's no restrictions, things get out of hand pretty quick. And I, I just wonder if we wouldn't be better served sometime to have a surcharge. Like, if you comment on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, it costs, say, 10 or 15 cents to comment. Because, like, not so much that you wouldn't do it, but too much that you wouldn't do it all day long. You know, like, you get to the end of the day and go, whoa, $18 just to talk on Twitter? Maybe you got to pull back a little bit. And the reason I say that is because where, where free speech is free then everybody throws their two cents into the ring and there's no restrictions on what happens. And especially when it's a platform of anonymity, relative anonymity, where there's no cost and where there's no cost, then you can do whatever you want and you can hide. And whenever people are allowed to do whatever they want and hide, things go to hell. Why, why am I talking about what does this have to do with anything? Well, it, it truly 
has to do with the fact that we hear from a different source. Okay? We have the Holy Spirit as our guide. We have Christ as our source. We take in the information that we're hearing from the voice of the Spirit. Then we process that and we give that out in hopes that we are both free and set other people free. When we don't do that, then we take our, voice, our, our voices from the same place the world does. We take that into our system. It sort of feeds our old man. It sort of feeds that human nature that gets jealous and outrageous and greedy and lustful and mad and whatever. And it spews it out because we have the right. We're free to say whatever we want to. And, and when we cling to those citizenship rights more than we cling to the restrictions of the Spirit, then I think we show who our true God is. So let, let, me, let me frame that better. When it becomes more important to me that I get to quote-unquote speak my truth than it does that I listen to the Spirit on when not to talk, then I've tipped my hand on who my true God is. That my true God is not the governor of the Holy Spirit in me. My true God might be the First Amendment or my nationality or my ability to do whatever I want to do because you can't stop me because that's what it means to be in the land of the free and home of the brave. And I don't know that we recognize that. And I think it's why the Holy Spirit had me setting, not setting, but stirring for a few days with Jesus' statement in that Sermon on the Mount. Now, Curiously, I don't want to open you in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to open you somewhere else. I want to open you in 1 Corinthians 14. I want to show you a couple of Pauline verses. And I'll tell you the context in a moment, but I want you to watch the wording. And I'm going to borrow the King James Version because King James's translators here mistranslate a word. But it serves my purpose. <laughs> tonight, to be honest. It's not the accurate Greek, but it serves the purpose of this intro. 14.10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. So many sounds coming out of so many mouths. The word they mistranslated, by the way, is the word voices. The word is way closer to the word for languages, spoken word. So, Paul's got in his mind all of the different languages you would hear walking down the street in a place like Rome because you would have heard languages from all over the world. So Paul goes, there's all kinds of language in the world. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be to him that speaks a barbarian and he that speaks shall be a barbarian unto me. I, I put this up because I just, I just want to show you from the get-go that there's a lot of options out there to hit your ear. Paul says there's a lot of voices, a lot of languages out in the world. If I don't understand, if I don't know the, the meaning of the language or the voice, then the one that speaks, I'm going to seem like a barbarian because I can't tell what he's talking about. And the one that speaks is going to be a barbarian to me. In other words, if I don't learn the language, I won't be able to communicate on that level. Now, contextually, this has to do with speaking in tongues because Paul takes, goes right out of this into the need for an interpreter in the church service if you're going to speak in tongues because he's like, if you just speak in tongues, there's no interpreter. He goes, how's anybody know what in the world's going on? It's really only edifying you, but you, if you, the church isn't about you. So if you come into the church and you're going to speak in an unknown tongue, you'd need an interpreter. That's the immediate church context. But for the broader context, it sounds like this. There's a whole lot of voices in the world. 
You don't understand all of them. If you don't understand the voice, you shouldn't be able to speak the language. Mm. There you go. Good. If you don't understand the voice, you shouldn't be able to speak the language. The more you understand the voice, the more you're going to be able to speak the language. The reason why it gets so easy for us to respond the way the world does is the more that we listen to that voice and the way it talks, the easier it is to talk that language, to speak back in the same manner. The more foreign that language sounds, the odder it's going to be to put a, that, let those words come out of our mouth because they don't speak our language. That's why we say metaphorically, hey, you're speaking my language. Well, of course you are. You're speaking English, but that's not what we mean when we say that. What we mean is I understand you in a way other people won't understand you because you're saying something that speaks to my condition. So when the voices of the world start to sound familiar, we need to wonder, we need to at least wrestle with how familiar does the sound of the spirit still sound in our ears, in our spirit man? And how do we adjust that and make a proper adjustment? That's the framework behind this text. Matthew 7, 24. By the way, this is the last little nugget in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the close. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Before we go any further, I just want to make sure you see this. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. We've been talking about hearing the various voices. Jesus' opening statement is, if you hear what I have to say, and then you do something with what you hear, that's, the, that's a wise man. That's the guy who's built his house on the rock. It's going to survive because it's founded on that rock. 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. These two statements are almost word for word the same. Jesus does this on purpose. He shows you the contrast between two kinds of people. Not saint and sinner. Not saved and lost. Both of these people have the ability to hear Jesus. One hears Jesus and does something with it. The other hears Jesus and does nothing with it. And so to hear Christ and do something with what Christ says, he says he's building your house on a rock. To hear Christ and do nothing with what Christ says, he says is to build your house on the sand. So knock the illustration down that says Christians built their house on the rock, unbelievers built their house on the sand. Get rid of that just out of the gate. 28-29, we'll close the story. And by the way, I don't mean we're closing our study on the Sermon on the Mount, because we're not. But I, I want to show you how this ends. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You could say that has to do with that little part right there at the end, the rock and the sand. But it really, it has to do with the whole 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's been preaching the whole time. You just get to the end of the sermon and people go, wow, what a sermon. He speaks with such authority. He doesn't speak as the scribes and the Pharisees. He speaks as... And I think this is because Jesus is speaking from a deep well. There's a difference when you hear someone speak from a shallow pool and someone from a deep well. And when you hear from a shallow pool, you're hearing someone who just sort of repeats things they've heard or they read it in a book, or 
their favorite preacher said it, or they, they, you know, they read a textbook and underlined a couple of salient points and then got up and gave them, and it's really kind of willowy. When you pull from a deep pool, from a deep reservoir, there's, something, there's always something behind that. And there's something behind that. If you peeled that onion back, there's another place to go with it, and another place to go with it, and another place to go with it. That's how Jesus taught. So you read as deep as the Sermon on the Mount is, five, six, seven, they heard, they, it blew their mind. They went, there's so much behind what he's saying that it's as if we could sit in a room with him and ask him, he'd be able to go down that road and that road and that road. And we all know that to be true, but we also know it to be true because that's what happens when you get in the word and you start to uncover things, you start to see things that are happening. So I want to bring out three principal things from this text in literally one, two, three format. Um, we're only going to run away to another text one time, but that text is going to be the Luke version of this story. Okay, so we're going to stay here with the rock and the sand and this house that is built. But I want to bring out three things that really leaped out off the page at me in this study that I thought would be a good landing spot for you. And that is beginning here. Number one, the rain, the flood, and the wind will hit everyone no one is immune to the storms of life. The thing that jumped off the page at me the most was that whether you built on the rock or you built on the sand, Jesus said the wind will come, the rain will come, the flood will come, and the man who built on the rock will survive. And then he repeats all three and says the man who built on the sand, his house will not. The common denominator was two things. They both heard Jesus they both entered the storm, all right? That which was uncommon was one of them received it and built this house thus on a rock. The other did not receive it and thus built this house on the sand. And so everyone faces the same, everyone faces the same reality of storms. We don't all face the same storm, all right? Salvation is not a, 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 a ticket of immunity to the cares of this life. You accept Jesus, it does not mean things aren't going to go bad. All right? In fact, things may go completely off the rails. People will die. Homes will be shattered. Lives will be upturned. Things may happen to you that seem completely, categorically unfair. And you're right, they are. And it doesn't mean that God's trying to teach you a lesson. It doesn't mean that God's mad at you. It doesn't mean that you've sinned. There's no mention of sin in this text. Jesus says that the storm hits both the man who builds on the rock and the man who builds on the sand. In other words, the storm was coming anyway. The storm that's in the world right now was coming anyway. It was coming for everyone. What makes life fair is that life isn't fair. What I mean by that is what makes it fair is that everybody gets the same unfortunate hand once in a while. Everyone from time to time endures their own share of suffering or their own share of pain or their own share of problems. And I wish the church could address this with its eyes wide open and stop acting like denying storms is the mark of high faith. Like somehow you're God's faith people if you just constantly rebuke storms and fight darkness and act like it can't come nigh you 
Instead, equip people from the youngest to the oldest to go face the hell that is inevitably coming. The storm that will roll over the horizon. You say, well, how do we know? Because Jesus said so. It's going to hit the guy who built his house properly, and it's going to hit the guy that didn't. So what should you do? Not run from storms. Build your house properly. And so if we were in the, in the business of building something that would stand, then we wouldn't have to get up in church and act like there's no storms. Because we would have people who are equipped no matter how big the storm. And that doesn't mean that even if you build your house properly, that the storm won't knock a few lights off the wall or knock a few shingles off the roof. But Jesus gives you the promise that you can actually survive if you were to take his word serious. If you heard him, put them into your life and then live them out. And man, they are loaded. That's why we can't really seem to get all of this in five, six, and seven. I'm trying, but I can't really seem to put it all squared away in me and it's I wasn't even really sure why for a long time this little lesson helped me because this little lesson said to me one of the reasons why you struggle to put all this away is because it ain't easy to build it on the rock it isn't easy to to do in what ought to be done so let me give you two and watch we'll watch how one and two sort of work together wisdom is to do what you hear Jesus say. In other words, it's to build on the rock. But what that really means, he said, is that man's wise. The man that builds on the rock is wise. Wisdom is to do what you hear Jesus say. Much of what we are copying is from people who haven't heard from Jesus. And so we are taking the advice of motivational speakers and CEOs and business leaders and authors and teachers and politicians and we are infatuated with it. We're sending our church staffs off to conferences so they can learn how to run Fortune 500 companies and then come back and drop those principles into the lives of people whose kids are out here high and getting pregnant and dying. But hey, we can teach you how to invest in the stock market like a champ. And you go, what, what is going on where we are missing the principles of what it means to love your neighbor while we're, we're pouring in the principles of business and growth and success. And a lot of times the voices that we're copying are not listening to Jesus. All right. They, they don't have the, their ear. There's many voices gone out into the world. Watch the ones you get infatuated with. And it doesn't mean you can't take advice and find some sh- something solid in things that people in the world say. Of course you can, but you don't build your house on it. That's the difference. You don't build your residence on it. You don't let it be the establishment. So take that, put it with the idea about storms and go to Luke and watch Jesus tell the same story again. What, why do you call me? This is Luke 6 for the audio listeners. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Now, this is a great question. And it's a question that I want you to ask yourself frequently for the rest of your Christian life. Right? It's not an accusatory statement. This is not a condemning. I'm not condemning any of us. I'm telling you that you need to ask yourself this a lot. Lord, am I calling you Lord, Lord? Am I doing what you say? It's a simple question. I'm the only one that knows. I don't want to call you Lord, Lord, and then not do what you tell me to do. So what do I need to do to do what you tell me to do? I need to identify which voice is yours first. 
People ask me all the time, I get this question as much as any, how do I know if I'm hearing from God? Good question. Let me give you a really good piece of advice. Shut the other voices off and listen to the one that's left. Christ lives in you the hope of glory. So fast from the other voices. People ask me what I think about fasting a lot. I think your fast should probably be from the news, television, movies, music, and social media. Try that out. Give it 30 days. Don't take anything else in. The voice left standing will be the voice of the Holy Spirit. Then learn to identify His louder than the others. What you'll probably find is that a lot of the others seem weak and reedy up next to the voice of the Spirit. And a lot of them you'll leave alone and you won't go back to because you've purged your spirit man of that food and it doesn't want it anymore. And so now you're going, "Ah, I don't know. I don't think I can feed on that any longer. It does something to me. I didn't realize what it was doing to me until I tried an elimination diet. And when I eliminated that from my spirit diet, my spirit man got stronger. And it's not because, it's not because God rewarded you. It's because your spirit man could finally breathe. You could take in the oxygen of heaven and go, hmm, that smells the fragrance of Christ. That's what his finished work looks like in me. It's what it does in me. So start there. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? The answer is probably because I don't know who you are. I, I don't really know which voice is yours. I'm so busy filtering out all these other voices in my life that I'm struggling to, to identify which voice is really yours. Now listen, this is your responsibility. Um, you know, love it or lump it. You're the only one that can do this. No one can do this for you. This is one of those things that just will not work following your favorite preacher. I'm telling you, it, I'm, I'm giving you a heads up. It just doesn't work that way. I'll just trust what brother or sister so-and-so says. That's not learning to hear the voice of the Spirit. You have to learn to turn the other things down until you hear him and then can say, okay, Lord, here's why I'm not doing what you say. I figured it out. So Jesus says it this way. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'm going to show you who he's like. What a setup. If you hear what I say and you do what I say, this is what you look like. Now watch this because he fleshes this out in Luke 6. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it because it was founded on the rock. This is almost the same story, but there's one very important detail that Jesus gives in the Luke 6 telling that he didn't give in the Sermon on the Mount. And it is that when you hear and you do, you're like the man that dug deep. Did you catch that? He didn't just turn over a couple. He got to work. He didn't get to work for his salvation. He got to work building the house of his salvation. See, you are the righteousness of God in Christ because of Jesus. You are forgiven because God can't treat you any other way than forgiven. That's good news. He has to treat you forgiven. Jesus has died on your behalf. Christ has resurrected. You are in Christ's resurrection. But you're building a spiritual house. You are constructing an identity. And to do that, you want to hear what Jesus says and apply it to your life. And when you do that, that's digging deep until you find rock. 
this has helped me to understand why I can't get to the bottom of the Sermon on the Mount. Because the rock is farther down there than I thought it was. I keep digging and digging and digging, going, ooh, I think I understand it. And he goes, keep going. If you keep going, the house will be stronger because there's more there. So go find the strongest thing you can find in that story. This is why I like to see a story, turn it over, see it again, turn it over, see it again, turn it over, see it again. You go, how many, how many angles are there? I don't know. You keep turning that until you start seeing it shine in different ways. And you don't land on, here's what that story means. You land on this story says this and this and this and this and this and this. And you know what? I'm getting, I'm exhausted. I didn't think I had this much to learn, but I'm finding that I have this much to learn. That's where you're digging. That's why you start to pull from a deep well. And then what people hear is just one layer. There's another one behind it and another one behind it and another one behind it because you're building a house on a foundation you had to actually dig down there and get to. Now, this is your honor. It doesn't sound, well, that doesn't sound fun at all. Well, the opposite would be this guy. Let me, next one. He who heard it and did nothing. Okay, well, that's like a man who built this house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This verse lacks what the other one had. What did the first guy do? Dug deep till he found the rock. What's this guy not do? Well, anything. I mean, he goes right to work building his house. And he builds it on the very first thing he sees. Because why not? You could just put the house right there. I mean, I got the equipment. I got to build some kind of structure to define myself. And he builds it there. And the moment that he builds it, here comes a storm. And how long does this house last? Not very long. Immediately, it falls down. And that's why I say this. It's not enough to say I'm a Christian, so I'm built on the rock. The rock in this context is not Jesus. Because that's what a lot of us do. You go, if you're saved, you're built on the rock. If you're not saved, you're built on the sand. It's not who he's talking about. The rock is in this context is not Jesus. Jesus said the rock is doing what he said to do. We're quoting him. So take the principles of the kingdom as he presents them in the Sermon on the Mount and live them. And when you do, you survive the storm. And living them, I promise, isn't going to be easy because you're supposed to be digging until you find rock. And digging until you find rock is exhausting work. And so you keep unturning and uncovering and working them over and going, I'm not sure I get it yet. Good. Keep going. Keep building on that principle. Keep struggling. This is why I think we said this when we were at this test. This is a perfect moment to bring this back. Keep struggling with what it means to turn the other cheek. Keep working with that. You go, oh, yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about that? Good, good, good. Don't give up. Don't just stop and go, yeah, but Jesus didn't mean it right there. Mm. That's when you, you, get, you went lazy, didn't you? You took the lowest hanging fruit because it became really convenient to slap, to slap back to hit back. And so you went, okay, well, there's, there are moments where you, you know, and so instead of digging to where I got to work a little bit to interpret it, I just give up, build my house on the very first level I get to and go, okay, that's all I need. And that's as strong as you'll be when the storm hits. I'm not talking about how saved you are. Okay. I know I don't have to qualify that with this group, but you're not the only ones that listen to this stuff. So because some people hear stuff like this and go, well, you know, I didn't think it was about a work salvation. You know, work, who's talking about working to get saved? You're in Christ. You're already in Christ, but you're building a house you live in and you hope 
can be a shelter for the people you love and the people you care about and maybe for the world at large. And what are you building that on? And so without digging down to the rock that is at the bottom of this principle, it's shifting sand. So it's not enough to just go, well, I'm a Christian. I'm built on the rock. No. Building on the rock is hearing what he says and putting it into your life. What a challenge. And that leads us to number three. Everyone is building a house, a place that is the real version of themselves. See, because you act like the real you when you're home. That's my point here. All right. You're not building a vacation home that you go to once in a while. You're building a house. That's why Jesus called it a house. Every one of you is building a house. That's a place where you're your your real you. The shifting sands of culture, society, and even church as we know it will not be sufficient as a foundation for life. If you're going to follow Jesus, you got to dig deep. If you're going to follow culture, then you're just going to build wherever it's convenient. And so if you're building your identity wherever it's convenient, get ready, your world's coming down. This is why if you build your identity on looks, money, power, success, fame, friendships, your job, why don't they last? Because they're the first place, they're the easiest place to build. And when the storm comes in, it knocks down those easiest places to build. But whenever you've built on the rock, which is taking Jesus at his word and doing the hard work, let's just get frank, doing the hard work of loving the people he loves, forgiving the people he tells you to forgive, praying for those he told you to pray for, not judging doing unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I'm just quoting little moments from the Sermon on the Mount. Stuff that we throw out as this like principles. And Jesus says, the more you get them, the more you're digging down till you find the, the bedrock. And that's where you need to build. So everyone is building it. The actual version of yourself. What are you doing with it? And I don't know. I don't, I don't know sometimes that I haven't built rooms in my house on shifting sand. I think I've got some rooms in my spirit house that's on the shifting sands of what people think of me. And I've got a few rooms built on the shifting sands of my own financial stability. And I got a few rooms built on my own smarts because I've figured a couple things out. And I've noticed that whenever the wind shifts, and it does, those are the first things to get me in trouble. Those are the places I get scared. Those are the places I get nervous. Those are the places I start holding on to, to try to keep them from falling down. And I don't know how long I got to live until I learned that I probably just need to knock that wing of the house down and dig till I figure out a better way to establish my identity in that particular category. Because as long as I'm building on those superficial things, that foundation, I'm not going to be able to stand the storm. One other thought on storms. I want to borrow just a thought from from what I'm working on in my Jonah book. Um, Not every storm is just the cares of this life. Some storms you created because you did something really stupid and you stirred the atmosphere. And the atmosphere starts to swirl and head your way. And... You know, it's like that statement, if the butterfly flaps its wings in Hong Kong, the wind blows in San Francisco or whatever. Um, 
There's a little bit of truth to that in like what we do that creates the issue. So I contrast the idea, and I'm not going to preach this now, but I contrast the idea of there's, if you looked up from the sky, you would see two guys riding on a boat across the stormy sea. One of them is Jonah and one of them is Jesus because Jonah gets in a boat to go to Tarshish and a storm shows up and Jesus gets in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee and a storm shows up and both of them fall asleep. Jonah falls asleep in his boat. Jesus falls asleep in his boat. And so from the 30,000 foot view, we got the same issue, but it's not the same issue because some people are sleeping in storms of their own devising because they're too apathetic to do anything about it. Sometimes you create chaos and then you're too lazy to fix it. So you call it rest while the world goes to hell around you. And as you float across the water, all hell breaks loose in your boat. Don't wake up and ask God what's going on. Just get ready to get thrown overboard because your only hope's a whale. But you serve a God who knows how to bring whales to your boat. Good news, mercy follows stupidity. Yeah. Right? Jesus is asleep in a boat in a storm he did not devise. A storm that is the consequence of life that's just the way it is. And so he rests. Because if you know where you're going, you can sleep through whatever comes at you. And they wake Jesus up in much the same manner the mariners wake Jonah in Jonah. They ask Jonah, what are you doing? The disciples wake Jesus and ask him, what are you doing? And where Jonah leads with all kinds of foolishness and ends up overboard, Jesus rebukes the storm, asks the disciples what's wrong with their faith, and we realize that the solution to some storms is sleep first, rebuke second. And most of us have only learned how to rebuke. And none, most of us never learned how to tell if the storm was ours or the cares of this life. Because we're rebuking storms we caused and they ain't buking. You know? Like we did it and we're standing on the edge of the boat rebuking it in Jesus' name and nothing's happening. And God goes, it's because I don't, I'm not taking that away. You're, the only way out of this is go overboard. You don't get to knock this one down. And Jesus teaches you to sleep prior to the rebuke because if you could learn how to sleep through it, you wouldn't have to go pulling the devil out from under every rock. You'd learn to sleep right past whatever it is he throws at you. Because, and why? Because Jesus is a man who has built his internal house on the rock. He knows what his father has said to him and he knows where he's going. And everything else is superficial and easy to knock down, but not the way Jesus floats. And it's to cross those waters. So the storm might be yours and the storm might not be yours. Learn to identify that. How do you do that? We'll talk to him. Figure that out. He'll show you. God's happy to show you where you are. Because only when you know where you are will you know how you're going to get out of it. Because if you don't know where you are, forget it. It's like being on a boat in the middle of the ocean. You don't know what direction you're facing. Opening the engine up and going as fast as you can isn't helping. What if you're going the wrong way? If you don't know where you are, it's best not to keep moving. Stop, figure out where you are. And so there's a, there's a moment of figuring out, taking inventory on where we are. What a way to end the Sermon on the Mount for Jesus. What a way to land his audience and say, hey, take it, do something with it, or don't. Storm's coming anyway. If you do something with it, you'll survive. If you don't do something with it, you won't. It's up to you. Oh, by the way, doing something with it is going to require digging. 
going to require some work. It won't all go down easy. You won't nail it overnight. Doing nothing is simple. Just do whatever you want to. Build your self-identity on whatever is the most popular thing to build it on. Respond the way you want to. And I can tell you, I'll close where I started. I can tell you, the easiest way to build your house on the sand is listen to all of the voices that, that don't listen to Jesus. And then just do whatever they tell you to do. And you'll end up right in the middle of the storm that was going to come anyway with no equipment to defeat it. it might take a whale to get you out. <laughs> but your father loves you. I want to equip you. I, I, I don't think I share qualities with Jesus, but I hope I think I share this one. I want you to take what he says and do something with it because I know it'll help you. And I don't think you have to even understand it all. You just keep digging, keep digging. This doesn't get old to me. I, I, to me, this is exciting. I, I got to a point in my Christianity where the Bible was boring to me. I was tired of reading it because I was reading it out of obligation. There was a time I only read it to preach too. Just read it to get a sermon. And I had had enough. And thank God for ongoing fresh revelations of Jesus that bring you back to the word, inspire and excite you again. I think it's what's happening in a lot of you too. And it's why you're not scared to do the hard work now and dig down in that word and go, yeah, I don't get it, but that's okay. I'm gonna keep digging because it's worth building my house right here. It's worth building my house on something hard to get. That's all right. My salvation ain't hard to get. My salvation was easy to get. That's in Jesus. But some of this, I got to pay attention to him. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you tonight first for the work you've done in me and the wrestling and the stirring that you've done in me today. Um, as you do to me so many weeks, you don't give me all of the answers. You, you and I just seem to have an agreement that if I'll keep asking questions. You'll work some of this out up live and some of it you won't work out until it gets into the hearts of the hearer. And I'm glad to be a part of that journey. Hope we've done that tonight, Father, and in doing so, may Jesus look good and where we can teach us how to dig down to the foundation. There's a storm going on in the world. That's not unusual. There's always a storm. If there's not one now, there's one on the way. It's hitting us all. Thank you that you give us assurance in your word that it's not because we did something wrong. But if we haven't built ourselves on what you say, it sure is going to feel like we've done something wrong. So knock down what isn't built on you so we can rebuild. And I got a few rooms that I think you're throwing the sledgehammer at in me. And teach me to knock them down and, and do the work of digging deeper to find a better way. In Jesus' name, amen.